Let us go into the house of the Lord. It's good to be in the Lord's house this morning. Quickly, I want to, first of all, just acknowledge our great God. He's an awesome and mighty God. I thank him. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. I certainly thank him for our being here this morning. I want to take opportunity to just acknowledge my friend and my brother. Uh, God knows what God is doing. And uh, I thank him for placing Dr. Davin Watkins in my life. And uh, what a true friend I have. And I thank God for the friendship, uh, the brotherhood that we have together. Uh, his precious wife, Jane Ellen, Molly Grace, Nathan, uh, his entire family, this church family. We're grateful for all of you. Uh, to Brother Brett, thank you for leading us and blessing us this morning. This awesome choir singing for the glory of Christ Jesus and all of you. I want to quickly just say uh, the way you have greeted me this morning, I tell you, it makes me want to move to Pelham, but I can't say that the best. Uh, yeah, keep that between us. All right. All right. All right. Yes. But uh, my God, I, I really needed this. And your warm and sincere embrace has meant so much to me. Now, someone said to me, just get loose in here and, and all of that. And, uh, well, I don't know how that works. You know, I have to trust the Holy Spirit and let him do what only he can do. Let's move to the text. If we, let me pray first. Father, preach through me by the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of transformation for the glory of Christ Jesus. According to the will of God, thine will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I do pray. Amen. All right, Mr. Audio person, um, um, I will say to you, sometimes I might get a little loud, so just you may have to adjust me down a little bit if I get happy. All right, yeah, and then I need to appoint someone. I, I, I need to be in my seat at, nine, at 1025, and I don't want to get lost with the time. And uh, uh, Molly Grace, I trust you that you'll wave your hand at me. All right, yeah, yeah. If you wave it like this, I'll think you're praising God. If you do like this, let me sit down. <laughs> From the Old Testament, the book of the prophet Jeremiah, Chapter 20, I will read verses 7 through 9 from the Old Testament. The book of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 20, beginning at verse 7. I'm reading from the King James Version. Again, that's the book of the prophet Jeremiah, chapter 20, beginning at verse 7. Hear ye the word of the Lord. O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. For since I spake, I cried out. I cried violence and spoil, because the word of the Lord was made a reproach unto me, and a derision daily. Then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. Blessed is the already read word of God. Amen. Amen. 
This morning, I, I want to talk about from dilemma to deliverance. From dilemma to deliverance. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church of London, England, spoke about his calling to the ministry, said that he wrestled with God. As a matter of fact, he did everything he possibly could to get out of his call into the ministry. After realizing that he couldn't win against God, because God is always victorious, he submitted his life to God and his will to God's will. And God anointed him and made him one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century. He would preach in the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church of London, England, and have sometimes four or 5,000 people seated in his congregation. He made this testimony. He says, I finally came to realize that long before I began with God, God had begun with me. It is God who initiates contact with his people. It is God who starts with us. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. Because he first loved me. Mm. Oh, how I chose God. Oh, how I chose God. Oh, how I chose God. Because he first chose me. This would be Jeremiah's testimony. The prophet Jeremiah, who receives the word of God, chapter 1, verse 4. But the Bible says, then the word of the Lord came unto me. And he says that God informed him that God had already orchestrated his life. Before I formed you in the belly, I knew thee. Before you came forth out of the womb, I had already sanctified you and ordained you a prophet unto the nations. God was really saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, I've already orchestrated your life. As a matter of fact, you don't need to go to career day. Uh, you don't need to speak with the counselor. Because I've already foreplanned your life and you don't have anything to do with it. Jeremiah doesn't need to go uh, and, and enroll in pre-med. He doesn't need to enroll in pre-law. God says, I've already enrolled you in my school of prophets. And what you're going to do, you're going to serve me. God really lets Jeremiah know that he is God. And we must always realize when we come in the presence of God that there is differentiation. Matter of fact, I know who God is and I know who I am. And sometimes I come to church and people come to church as though they are on equal terms with God. They are equal with God, but we're not equal with God because I, 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 I reminded that God has some attributes that I just don't have. God is omnipotent, which really means that God has all power. And I walk in my own weak, feverish body. And sometimes I wake up and feel so tired that I can't hardly make it through the day. And all I need is a cup of coffee or a Coke to get some caffeine going. I realize that God is omnipresent, which really means that God is everywhere. God is everywhere at the same time. And right now, I'm really praying that everything is moving right along in New Jerusalem because I can't control what's going on in New Jerusalem because I'm in First Baptist Church, Pelham. And I realize that God is God. He's God all by himself. He's immutable, which really means that God is never changing. And every time I look in the mirror, I realize that I'm changing. Matter of fact, I can look at my photo album and just look back 20 years ago. Look Look back 30 years ago, look back 40 years ago, and you'll see how we are forever changing. And God lets Jeremiah know, listen, I am God, and I have chosen you, and you didn't choose me. Mm. God really works backwards. I don't believe that God learns anything. I don't think we can ever teach God anything. Who can teach the Lord? Who knows everything? As a matter of fact, sometimes I think we worry about things that we don't need to worry about because God has already worked it out. 
God has, and I wish I could say, a wonderful plan for your life, and he loves you very much. I can't say God has a plan for your life, he loves you very much, and the outcome will be wonderful. Because every now and then, as I'm going through, I'm struggling as I go through life. Sometimes I don't know what God is doing. I don't know what God is up to. But I have to walk by faith and not by sight. Here it is, Jeremiah says, okay, God, all right, uh, verse 5, uh, uh, verse 6, I'm just a youth. I'm too young. I can't even speak. God says, listen, I know you're trying to get out of it, but I've already gotten you into it, and therefore you're going to have to do what I've already proclaimed. Don't tell me that you're just a youth. I know how old you are. Didn't I just tell you before you were formed in the belly? I knew you before you came forth out of the womb. I had already sanctified you, ordained you a prophet unto the nations, and now you're going to tell me your age, and here you are talking about chronos, chronology, time, January, February, March, and I'm trying to introduce you to a God of Kairos, which really means that everything is already fixed in the mind of God. I don't have to work it out. I've already worked it out. And God really wants Jeremiah to know that everything is laid out for him if he would just obey God. I believe we must know that God is in charge as long as we want him to be in charge. And even if we don't want him to be in charge, he's still in charge. And Jeremiah has to submit. Now he can't get out of it. He's trying to do what Moses did when God called Moses and said, listen, I want you to go and I want you to go back to Egypt and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, listen, I have a speech impediment. God says, listen, I know about your tongue because I made your tongue. There's no sense in you trying to get out of it. And God will call us to some things that we might not want to do, but I do declare this morning that God will be with you regardless of the assignment. He's there, and so what God does in verse 8 of chapter 1, the Bible says, and the Lord touched my mouth. He touches Jeremiah's mouth. And the Lord says, for I have put my words in your mouth. God knows what God is doing. What he has done now, he's empowered the prophet to preach. He's empowered him to proclaim the gospel. Ruach, the spirit of God. God has made the deposit. Therefore, since God has made the deposit at God's choice, God will make the withdrawal. So, so much so that the prophet will not be able to control the word of the Lord, but the word of the Lord will control the prophet so that he can't get out and say what he wants to say, or he can back up on God because the people are not agreeing with the word of God. Therefore, he has to talk about health, wealth, and prosperity. He has to give them, uh, and everything is always going to be all right message, but God says, I'm going to fix this thing. I'm going to deposit my word in you, and you're going to proclaim whatever I tell you to do. And then God says this, God says, and I will be with you. Well, sometimes it's a misinterpretation of God's, and I will be with you. Sometimes we think when God says, and I am with you, it means that we're not going to have any trouble. But anytime God says, I am with you, it implies that somebody's going to be against you. And you can expect to have some trouble in your life, but I know somebody who's able to do all things and he can never fail. I know somebody, whatever I go through, he's right there with me. I know somebody who promised to never leave me. He promised to never forsake me. Therefore, I can walk with God in the confidence knowing that there is nothing too hard for God. Jeremiah says, okay, I'll go ahead and I'll preach. Verse 10, listen, what I want you to do, I've set you over the nations and over the kingdoms. And what I want you to do, I want you to pull down, I want you to tear down, destroy, and I want you to pluck up, and I want you to build, and I want you to plant. That's all I want you to do. Jeremiah says, okay, sounds like a good plan to me. And in chapter 1, verse 19, God says again, listen, 
I'm with you. And God is letting him know I'm right by your side. But Jeremiah starts preaching. He's carrying out the will of God. The problem is there's not a positive response. He's not in his best season. The people are not standing up clapping as he's preaching. Matter of fact, no one wants to come shake his hand after the sermon. There's no hug and say, good job, brother pastor. No, as he's preaching, the people are waving him off. The people don't want to hear this unpopular, non-patriarchal message that he's preaching. But Jeremiah continues to preach. And he stands in chapter 2 and verse 13. He says, for you have committed two evils. You have forsaken the fountain of living waters. And you've hewed out for yourself cisterns. Broken cisterns that can't hold any water at all. The people have engaged now in polytheism. And God is monotheistic. Matter of fact, God says, uh, listen, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Oh, sister in the church will get up and say, God is God all by himself. God don't need nobody else. So much so that God is able to fulfill all of our needs. But the people have turned away from God. Jeremiah says in chapter 5 and verse 1, run to and fro in the streets and see if you can find someone who executeth righteousness and love truth. If you could just find me one person, I'll pardon your sin. They can't find anybody. Chapter 8 and verse 20, the harvest has passed and the summer has ended and uh, we're not saved. Uh, is there no balm in Gilead, verse 22? Is there no physician there? Why then are the people, uh, why people are not healed? And the people, they know that there's a balm in Gilead. God is their great physician. The problem is, as God writes the prescription, they won't get the prescription filled. Jeremiah, he keeps right on preaching. He's faithful to God. Chapter 9, verse 1, he wants to go somewhere. Oh, if, if my head were waters and my eyes were tears, I would cry day and night, and I would just weep perpetually without stopping. Verse 2 of chapter 9, if I could find a place in the desert. Matter of fact, it doesn't need to be a Ramada Inn. I don't need a Winfrey Motel. Just give me a Motel 6. Don't even have to leave the light on if I can just get away from these people. He's not happy right now. God doesn't say a word because God told him in chapter 1, verse 8, I'm with you. God told him in chapter 1, verse 19, and I am with you. And God says, I've said enough, and all I want you to do is say what I say. Because in chapter 1, verse 9, God says, I have put my words in your mouth, and all I want you to do is continue to preach. Well, Jeremiah, he keeps on preaching. Chapter 15 and verse 16. He says to God, because he really wants God to give him some attention, because sometimes in life it will appear that God has left us all alone because we want to see a sign, we want to feel something, we want to see something happen. And nothing's really happening with Jeremiah, but he's trusting God. Chapter 15, verse 16. Mm. Your words were found, and I did eat them, and they were a joy and a rejoicing of mine heart, because I am called by your name, God, Lord of hosts. Jeremiah says, listen, the words that you put in my mouth, I did find, I did eat them, I have internalized your word. And I'm being faithful to you, God, and that ought to be enough. If I'm faithful to you, you ought to be faithful to me. But in chapter 15 and verse 18, Jeremiah says, listen, why is my wound incurable and my pain perpetual? And he says something to God that I don't think any of us really want to say. He says, will you also be a liar to me and waters that fail? You don't talk to God like that unless you're ready to dodge the thunderbolt. 
And God lets them get away with it because God loves us and God is enough God to deal with our weakness and our own frustrations. One of the concerns that I have with Christianity is that we think that everybody should walk around like they're invincible and nothing hurts, nothing bothers us, but I thank God for his transparency. God is so transparent. He says, listen, I want you to see my prophet because if you like reality TV, I'm going to give you a reality book and I want you to see Jeremiah and I want you to see his life. I want you to experience what he experienced through his own frustration. It is not every time you see Jeremiah for the Lord is good. Praise the Lord. I'm blessed and I'm highly favored. Jeremiah can't talk like that every time you see him. Matter of fact, I'm concerned if every time I see you, you're blessed and highly favored and nothing is ever wrong. I want to know what God you're serving because there are some times in my life when some things are going on and I'm asking God, the old Verizon commercial, God can you hear me now because I've been calling on you and I need an answer for you. Have you ever been there in your life? And God says, listen, what I'm going to say to you, Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 20, I'm still with you, Jeremiah. You keep right on preaching. Chapter 18, Jeremiah, God says, go down to the potter's house. I'm going to give you some hopes as you're preaching, you're proclaiming, and I want you to see what the potter's doing. He goes out to the potter's house and there is clay on the wheel. And the potter is taking this clay and making it into a fashion that's pleasing to the potter. And he says, listen, what you see me doing with this pottery, this clay, I can do the same thing with Israel. There's hope. I feel better now. This is Jeremiah. I think I can keep running on. But the people won't turn back to God. And in, verse, in chapter 19, verse 10, God says, I want you to take the clay bottle. I want you to break it. And I want you to let the people know that they are going into captivity because they will not obey my word. Well, Jeremiah has to preach this message and he lets the people know that Babylon is coming and Babylon is going to carry them into captivity. Chapter 20, verse 1, the Bible says there's a person by the name of Pashur. He's the temple overseer. He doesn't like what Jeremiah is preaching. Matter of fact, he's displeased with Jeremiah's sermons. The Bible says that he takes Jeremiah chapter 20 and verse 2 and incarcerates him puts him in stocks in this very uncomfortable posture where his arms are locked in this wooden apparatus and he has to stay there all night long. What he really wants to do is imprison the word of God by imprisoning the man of God. Well, verse 3, he releases Jeremiah on the next morning. Jeremiah gets out of jail and he walks out and he thinks that Jeremiah is going to cut his message short. But you got to keep in mind, chapter 1, verse 8, I have put my words and your mouth. And what Jeremiah does, Jeremiah says, I've got another text for you now. The Lord has a message for you, Brother Pashur. Your name shall no longer be called Pashur, but your name shall be called Magamisabim. In other words, everybody who's following you, they're going to be a terror to themselves. You're going to be a terror to yourself. You're going into Babylon and you won't make it back. Your followers are going into Babylon. They won't make it back. This is the word of the Lord. Jeremiah is standing in great power. And it's amazing how God will give us strength when we need strength, when we don't think we have strength. And God will give us strength to carry out his will. God will give us strength. Even in the midst of adversity, God will give you some strength if you would trust in the Lord. Because one thing I do want to let you know, that God will assign you to do some things and say some things. And it may not be popular, but I do declare God will be by your side as you carry out God's assignment. Here it is. Jeremiah's by himself now. 
Mm -hmm. And Jeremiah says, Lord, verse 7, because he's proclaimed he stood in great power. He's trusted the Lord. You've deceived me, God. I was deceived. You're stronger than I am, and you prevailed over me. Jeremiah said, is saying to God, you have sovereignly seduced me. You have gotten me into something. Matter of fact, my life doesn't sound like my call. When you told me in chapter 1, verse 5, that you had already sanctified me and ordained me a prophet unto the nations, that sounded promising. Matter of fact, that sounded like I already had the victory. And all I'm doing is having trouble and the people won't even hear me and you tell me that you're with me. Let me see something. Let me feel something. Why don't you just do something, God, to let me know that you're there? Have you ever been there when you needed God to just say something? Have you ever dealt with the silence of God? Have you ever been able to tell that just for a moment, I don't feel quite the same. It feels as though God is not with me. But we can't base it on our feelings. It must be based on our faith. Because God says, I will always be by your side. Jeremiah keeps right on, chapter uh, 20 and then verse uh, 8. Ever since I cried out, violence and spoil, your word has been made a reproach unto me. I'm in derision daily. That's what he says. He says, listen, I'm the laughing stock of the town. And all the people, they don't take me seriously. And I'm standing here and I'm preaching your word. But verse 9, then I said, I will no longer make mention of him, nor speak anymore in his name. Jeremiah said, I quit. I give up. Matter of fact, I, I don't want this anymore. I'm just going to wave the white flag, and I'm just going to throw the towel in, and God, I just quit. But the problem is, he can't quit because he didn't sign up. God signed him up and God is the only somebody who can sign him out. And God says, didn't I tell you I'll be with you and you really think I'm going to let you quit on me? I'm not going to let you quit on me. Go ahead and talk. Say everything you want to say and I'm going to be right there. I will no longer make mention of him nor speak anymore in his name, but I have a problem. His word was in my heart like a burning fire shut up in my bones. And God says, go ahead and get quiet on me, Jeremiah. I'm going to let you go home. Matter of fact, try and go home after the Sunday service and leave your resignation. The problem is you can't resign because you can't find me in order to submit your resignation. If you email me, I won't respond. Matter of fact, I shut down my Twitter account and I, you can't even get me on the main line. I'm going to leave you right there to yourself. And I believe sometimes what God would do, God would just leave us right there because he knows he's going to deliver us. I know the plan is wonderful, but it's not wonderful until we've made it through. It doesn't feel wonderful all the time, but you've got to trust God. And too many people are ready to check out on God before checkout time. God knows how to check you out because before before you check out, God continues to check in. And what Jeremiah says, I'm trying to check out. But every time I check out, God keeps checking in. That's why I can't check out. And I believe there's somebody in here today, you've been frustrated in your life. You felt as though God hadn't let you go, but God wouldn't let you check out. Matter of fact, that's why you're here today. Through all of your tragedy, through all of the mishaps in your life, all of the things that have gone wrong, and you trusted that God would make them go right, and you decided I'll give up. But God said, I won't give up on you. What a mighty God we serve. Oh, yes, 
he is. I have 10 minutes, so I'm going to run the dash. Let me just throw a pass. I'm at the 30-yard line. I'm in your territory. Now we're going to get into the end zone. I will no longer make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. But I have a problem. Matter of fact, I have homiletical heartburn. I just can't get through it. Every time I try to shut my mouth, God turns the thermostat up. And I can't even get to the thermostat because God has his hand on it. I want to turn it down, but he keeps turning it up. And the only thing that can cure my heartburn, I have to take a text. Tom's won't give me any relief. Pep Pepto-Bismol. It just won't work. Rolays, you just may as well throw them away because the only thing I can do is take a text. And I believe there's somebody here tonight or this morning, rather, that God is just waiting on you to speak his word and to be faithful to him. You'll feel a little better if you just proclaim his goodness and his faithfulness in your life. What God has done with Jeremiah, Jeremiah says, I'm, I'm going to hang it up moment. But God says, I've given you a hang in there clause. <laughs> and that's what God does for us. I'm not going to let you hang it up. I have provided for you a hang in there clause. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. There's a hang in there clause. In the world, you may have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's a hang in there clause. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. Bound up with wings as eagles. Run, not be weary. Walk and faint not. There is a hang in there clause for all of God's people. And the fact is, is that Jeremiah cannot resign because he didn't sign up. And he can't give up because God has him in his hand. And God holds us. He holds you. And he's holding you right now regardless of how you feel, what you're going through, what you've been through, God is right by your side. I think about this biblical text and the fact that Jeremiah says, I will no longer, but I cannot. It lets me know that it is the power of God who holds Jeremiah and will not let him go. And when I realize some of the things I've experienced in my personal life, because even as a Christian, you're going to get sick in your body. That's a possibility. As a Christian, Tragedy can befall you. As a Christian, some devastating things can take place in your life. But I do want to let you know that God has not forsaken his people. This is why David says, I once was young and now I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken. I've never seen his seed begging bread somehow, some way. God continues to provide if we just will not give up on God and continue to trust him. Well, I look at this particular text and I say, well, this could have been a tragedy. The fact is that God didn't have to uh, uh, ignite a fire of passion for Jeremiah to continue to preach. There are some things that God just, he, he, he don't have to do, but he chooses to do it because he loves us. The tragedy of the text is not so much that Jeremiah tried to quit. I'm, I'm getting to the finish line. It's not so much that he tried to quit. The tragedy of the text would have been had God not placed fire in his bones so that Jeremiah could say, I just can't hold my peace. I think about Job chapter 23, verse 3. He says he's looking for God if I might find him, that I might come even unto a seat that I may please my cause before the Lord. The tragedy of the text is not so much that Job couldn't find God. The tragedy of the text would have been had there been no God for Job to find. I think about the prodigal son. Yes, he left home. Yes, he squandered all of his father's living. Yes, he ruined his inheritance. 
That's not the tragedy of the text, so much so that he's in the hog pen now, feeding pigs. That's not the tragedy of the text. Because what he does, he says, listen, I will arise, and I will go, and I will say to my father, I've sent him before heaven and in your sight. You know, make me as your hired servant. The tragedy of the text is not that he wasted all of his living. The tragedy of the text would have been had there been no father on the front porch waiting on him to come home. I think that God is gracious to us. I think that God keeps us. I believe that God holds on to us when we can't hold on to him. Something within that, 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 that banishes pain. Something within that holds the rain. Something within. I cannot explain. All I know, there's something within. Trust in him who will not leave you whatsoever. Years may bring, even if by earthly friends forsaken, still more closely to him clean. Well, let me cut right through in five minutes. Jeremiah says, okay, says I can't do anything about it, I keep preaching. But in verse 10 of chapter 20, he says, even my familiars are watching for my halting. My friends, they want me to fail. They want me to prophesy something that will not come to fruition so that they can stone me. Verse 11, uh, Jeremiah says, uh, I know that you are the mighty and you are the righteous and awesome God. God still doesn't say anything. Verse 12, O Lord who tries the righteous and knows the heart and the reins, let me see your vengeance upon them. Verse 13, Jeremiah says, sing unto the Lord. Praise ye the Lord. God still doesn't say a word. Verse 14, Jeremiah gets frustrated. He says, cursed be the day I was born. Verse 15, cursed be the man who brought tidings to my father, letting him know that a man child has been born. Jeremiah is terribly frustrated and he feels like giving up, but God won't let him go. Verse 16, that man who brought good news, let him be like the sinners that God overthrew. Verse 17, that I did not die in my mother's womb. Jeremiah's frustrated. Verse 18, for I was born only to experience sorrow and grief all the days and shame all the days of my life. And God doesn't say a word. God leaves him right there. God leaves him there because God knows when God is going to move. Sometimes God leaves us where we are so that because God knows when God is going to move and then what God does, he helps build our trust in him so that we are not so time sensitive. We're more God sensitive. So much so that we just trust whenever God moves. It's like Job. I don't know when he's going to move, but I'm going to wait until my change comes. Now somebody here this morning, you might be waiting until your change comes. You might have to trust in the Lord. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child a long way from home. Sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down. Sometimes I'm battered to the ground because no one knows the trouble I see. Have you ever been there in your life? Well, what happens? God finally sends Babylon. Jeremiah can feel the earth shaking and moving. He knows something is taking place. God is honoring God's promise, and God will honor his promise. Here comes Babylon, and Jeremiah knows now that God is a God of his word. Jeremiah, who believed to have preached for almost 40 years without any candidates for baptism, Jeremiah is now happy. And what he says is in Lamentations 3.23, 21 through 23, because I have hope, this is what I recall to mind, therefore I have hope. It is because of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed, his compassions, they fell not. They are new every morning. Jeremiah says, I'm going to testify before there's a real reason to testify. Matter of fact, God hadn't done it yet, but I hear that God is doing it, and I'm going to testify. I know I'm going into Babylon for 70 years, and I may not come back out, but I'm going to testify. I'm going to testify to God's goodness, not so much so that he's carrying us into Babylon, but I'm going to testify because of the good things that God said he will do. 
God says, after 70 years, I'm going to bring you back into the land. You can plant vineyards, you can build houses, and you can marry, but I'm bringing you back into the land. And Jeremiah says, I'm going to treat the not yet as though it is already. And sometimes we have to treat the not yet as though it is already. You can't always wait for the miracle to be made manifest before you praise God. You can't always wait to see your blessing before you praise God. Sometimes you have to praise God before you see anything, before you feel anything, before God manifests anything, because praise is just what I do. I wake up and I praise him, regardless of what's going on around me. I just praise the Lord because I love him so much. Anybody here loves the Lord so much that you can praise him regardless of what's going on in your life, you know that he's good to you. All right, five-yard line, let's throw a pass into the end zone. Jeremiah says, listen, you're a faithful God, and I love you, and, uh, and I know that you are my deliverer. And God says, I want you to see, I want you to see what I've done through the life of Jeremiah. And God is saying, I want you to see your life. And you take Jeremiah's life, and I want you to read it. I want you to look at it. And if you've ever been in a place of hardship, I want to let you know I may not come when you want me. I may not come when you want me, but I will show up on time because when you are in a dilemma, I will deliver you. And if you are in a dilemma today, I declare God is going to deliver you. All you have to do is just trust in the Lord. And the reason I know he's going to uh, deliver us out of our dilemma because God is not without dilemma himself. Sent his son Jesus. Mm came down through 42 generations. And I can hear them asking the question in Matthew 16, 13. Whom do men say that I am? Some say you're Jeremiah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say you're Elijah. Some say that you're one of the prophets. But who do you say I am? You are the son of God. You are the Christ. And what Jesus does, he says, well, let me show you exactly who I am. I'm going to experience a dilemma so that you won't have to go through what I'm going to go through. And he makes his way after walking the dust roads of Galilee for 33 years. They carry him up on a skull-shaped hill called Calvary. And up on that hill, they lifted him high and they stretched him wide and they dropped him low. And when they dropped him low, three worlds lost his equilibrium. Heaven, earth, and hell and midday looked like midnight and the rooster went home to crow in the noonday. And in the ninth hour, Jesus gave up the ghost and he died not just for himself, but he died for me because he who gave what he could not keep in order to gain what he could not lose is the Lord who died for our sins. And that was a dilemma that Friday on that hill called Calvary. They took him down off the cross. They put him in Joseph's tomb. The disciples and all of his followers, they were in a dilemma all night Friday night and they were in a dilemma all day Saturday in a dilemma all night Saturday night. But something happened early Sunday morning. I said, something happened early Sunday morning. God got him up. I said, God got him up with all power in his hands. Do you know that he lives? I said, do you know that he lives? Don't fool me here. Do you know that he lives? Is he your mighty God? Is he your everlasting father? Can you give him praise right now?